Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. So praise God. You know, as a pastor uh, who preaches most Sundays, there's a difficult task. And let's compare, let's compare this gathering on a Sunday morning to like a hospital, right? And uh, you can have a birthing unit where maybe like last week we had somebody get saved. Somebody say amen. amen. So you like somebody born again. And then you can compare all the way up to, to uh, at a hospital, you have like a whole floor dedicated to like, you know, maybe like geriatrics or something, right? So you have, you have people coming into the world and you have people going out of the world, right? Uh, uh, living, being born and dying, and you have everything in between. You have emergency situations, you have people who need rehab on a long-time care. Does that make sense? And you have all, if, all that in between. You have uh, people who are coming in and, and they're like, you know, their arms missing, and they're going to put their arm back on, and you got, and, and, and you got uh, people who are, their bodies are in tick-tock shape, and they're like professional athletes, and they're like coming in to tweak their diet or something by, or you know what I'm saying? Like, so you have, you have the whole spectrum of health at a hospital. And so every Sunday, whenever I'm trying to preach a sermon, I've got Christians who are all over the spectrum Right, and I might be. You might have people who are just born again that I'm trying to preach to them. At the same time, preach to that professional athlete who who has got it, who's who's really really good at you know what I'm saying at following Jesus. And so, um, what I'm trying to say is, the last few weeks I've preached some heavy stuff. I even have one of the ladies in the church uh, this week. She said no, that was a real toe stomper last week, brother Chester. You know. And so what I'm what I'm saying is today is going to be. Um, a little bit more, I hate to use this word, elementary. And if you're one of them professional athletes in the spirit and you're like, man, I'm way past all this. Well, God bless you. God bless you. That's great. But somebody, but all church services aren't designed around you. Okay. A, they're designed around God. That's why we spent the first 58 minutes worshiping Jesus, and I'll never apologize for that, okay? I'll never, ever apologize for that. And secondly, God, I lay, what the Spirit puts in my heart, I preach, and, and I know there's somebody out there who needs to hear that. So this is an armory, an old armory. This is why we're called Church at the Armory. And one of the main kind of value systems or points that we have is it's our job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, to equip the saints. Equipping the saints. When uh, the, the soldiers would come here, they would be trained and equipped. My brother told me the other day that, that he actually worked on this building, right? And so, uh, and so, uh, and so the point is, it's like peop- the soldiers would come here to be equipped and trained to go out there and do whatever they were trained to do. Same thing with believers. You come here to get built up, trained, equipped, built up in your faith, because the point is for you to go out there and live your faith and fight the good fight out there. Amen. Amen. We kind of have it backwards. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, but this is the point of an armory. And so whenever you were issued a weapon, now I wasn't in the military, so I did some research to make sure I wasn't talking um, about something I didn't know what I was talking about. But you wish, issued an, a weapon or a piece of equipment. You would do from time to time on these weapons or on these equipment, you would have what they called a basic function check. 
Okay? A function check. Now, what that means is like there's just these basics about your weapon that you had to know about. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay? And so you just had to know the basics about that weapon or whatever it was. And I didn't feel like, you know, for the last three weeks I've been doing illustrated sermons. I didn't think it'd be appropriate to maybe bring, you know, uh, what might be in my closet up here and, and do an illustration because it is 2023 and people get weirded out about stuff. So uh, even though we're in South Arkansas, it's, it's not Mayberry anymore. So my point is, is that uh, a function check. Everybody say basic function check. I'm about to go over the five most basic fundamental things a believer must do to be able to walk that spiritual journey the way the word describes it. And, and it's real simple. Five things, real basic. Again, this may not be for you professional athletes out there in the spirit realm. Maybe this is for some of y'all uh, who are just needing to get back into shape or whatever. And maybe you've been saved for 20-something years, but you're not doing these. And that, that uh, time saved doesn't equal spiritual maturity. Obedience to the scriptures equals spiritual maturity. Uh, One guy said this. I like his definition. The consistent application of elementary principles is is the maturity of the spirit. So real simple. You've heard this sermon a million times. You're going to hear it a million and one today. Five things every believer should be doing on a consistent, dare I say, daily basis that keeps himself fully functional. That makes sense? Fully functional in the life of Christ. All right? Let me talk, let me just read this uh, out of 2 Peter. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you. A lot of you are going to be reminded today. You've heard this sermon before, but you're going to be reminded. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Okay? We have this weird uh, thing in charismatic Christianity, especially now where, like, everybody's searching for the latest, greatest, newest revelation from the Holy Spirit or from God, but we, we oftentimes don't even do the fundamentals really well. But we want the latest, you know, word that'll tickle our feathers and all that kind of good stuff. But Therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established. If I say established, established means these are foundational things. you, You have the foundational things in truth which I present to you. Five things. Number one, every believer. This is not a suggestion. This is what you were created to do. Every believer is a worshiper of God. Every believer is a worshiper of God. Worship is, of course, more than what we just did over the last hour. It is actually, according to Romans chapter 12, it is the presentation of your living soul, your living body to God is your reasonable act of service or worship. It is how you live your life. But make no mistake about it. God is to be worshiped. God wants your worship. If we get into this mindset where we're not in a mentality of worshiping God, then we've become too buddy-buddy with God. 
I got really good friends. Uh, I got really good friends in this world. I don't worship none of them. That makes sense. I mean, we hang out, we talk about stuff. It's it's a very co-equal relationship. That's not the way with God. Yeah, he's a friend. God is, in a sense, of a friend of sinners. Like he he is friendly towards me, and when he choose, Amen. At his choosing, but I'm not his buddy. I am a person who was created to bend my knee to the earth and bow my heart in allegiance and worship the God of all creation. He is to be worshipped. And not just uh, one day a week. And then let me just hit on that just for a second. I'm not a mathematician, but I got on my calculator this morning on, and one, uh, 24 times 7 is 168. All right, 168 hours in a week. And it is odd to me that we have established such a brand of Christianity where taking a full hour, one time a week of 168 hours seems excessive to gather together to worship God. I ain't talking about the whole service. I'm talking about just the last 45 minutes an hour of singing, lifting our hearts, and worshiping God. It seems obsessive in the modern American church to spend that much time worshiping God. And I'm like, we have forgotten why. The basic function check number one, worship God. So therefore, I'll never apologize. That's the number one knock on this church has been for a long, long, long time. Y'all just sing too long. I just sing too long. I got places to be. 168 hours in your week, and you can't take one full hour. It seems excessive to you to take one full hour to lay your heart bare and worship before God. It means we don't understand the God we're worshiping. The angels are still at this very moment circling his throne, and every time they lift their eyes to catch a glimpse of the throne, they go, holy, and around again they go. And they've been doing it for millions and millions of years, and they'll do it for a million more. Worship is number one, number one while we're here. But again, I say, not just Sunday morning, when your eyes closed on your bed tonight, you need to thank God. When your eyes pop open in the morning, when you get ready to wake up, breath in my lungs, thank you. What do I have to worship him for? Breath in my lungs, thank you. Worship is a lifestyle, it's an attitude, it's a mentality. It is the fundamental purpose of the why we were created, that God would have this creation that would respond to him in worship. So worship's number one. If you are here and you are struggling to have an attitude of worship and praise, that's your first function check. When life starts getting weird and sideways and you find yourself really kind of down in the dumps, the first question isn't, how can I make myself feel better? The first question should be the function check of, am I been worshiping God, right? See, as long as we're inward focused, you're always going to see problems. But once you, like that scripture said, once you lift your eyes upon the hills to where my help comes, once you lift your eyes off of self onto God, oh yeah, you're going to feel better. Things are going to change. Your perspective are going to change. And that might last five minutes and that might last five days. But what do you do? You just keep on worshiping. Okay? So worship is number one. 
Man, that's groundbreaking revelation right there, isn't it? Very basic, very basic, very, very, very basic. Number two, prayer. And we're getting deep today. Worship and pray. Number two. Paul had the audacity to say, I pray without ceasing. Dad Gummit, he put the bar pretty high for the rest of us, didn't he? <laughs> Prayer, again, is more it is it is the absolute setting aside of some time to spend undistracted with God, which is very biblical. Matthew chapter six, lock yourself in a closet and pray in secret, right? Where where God sees it. But it's also this, it's how you, you, I live my life as a prayer, an offering, uh, 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 not just an offering, but a prayer. Uh, uh, I am a walking prayer. Um, the first, <laughs> you know, you can kind of tell the shift in our heart when you get born again. And when something would immediately happen, it would catch you by surprise. You see, oh, beep, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can go to church here anymore, right? But used to is like, you know, it was like this curse would come out of yourself at the first sign of something. Well, the more you spend time with God, then the immediate reaction is, oh, God. Like you immediately invoking, not, not in a sense of using his name in vain, but I'm calling upon the name as my immediate knee-jerk reaction where it was to be a cursed situation. Now I'll vote God right in that situation as, as, as a function of I'm a daily person of prayer. Does that make sense? And so prayer is two things. It is your, and I, and I don't like for people to live only in either camp. But it is, you need to have dedicated, set a time apart times of prayer where it's you're, you moved yourself from distraction and you're focusing on God and you're praying to him. Well, I don't know. Jesus, well, yeah, Jesus would go up on a mountain to get away from everybody and spend all night in prayer before he chose his 12 disciples, right? Like there was times where you lock yourself in prayer. That should happen, all right? But also, uh, once you leave that prayer closet, you're still a continuing prayer rising up to God. And so you're driving down your car, you see somebody, and you just feel this impression about them. I feel sorry for that guy. That's not just, a, that's not just your flesh trying to tell you that you're empathetic. It's the Spirit trying to tell you that guy needs a word of prayer. Amen. And maybe even to be the answer to that prayer. That's a different sermon for a different day. But we should be praying. Like our spirit man should be continually connecting to the Holy Spirit and connecting to God. We should be praying. Real simple. I'm not trying to be legalistic at all. If you're not praying, you're not walking in victory. And the reason is, is because if you, in prayers, we get the mind of Christ. We get more than the mind, it's where you get the, the attitude. Uh, you've, heard, you've heard me talk about this many, many times. Miss, Missy and I, you know, long, long time ago, not any time recently, we might be getting into a fight. Right? Are y'all still like that, that 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 church that doesn't think people fight? Right? Okay. We might Missy's my wife. We might get into a fight. We might get cross with one another. I will avoid going to pray. I've done this. I've been around the block a few times. Twenty-three years of marriage. 
been, been born again since I was at least 16, I understand how it works. If I go to pray, I can't be mad at her no more. So if I want to be mad at her, I don't go pray. Because I'm telling you, if I go to the place of prayer and I get real and serious with God, he will touch my heart. And I will feel a different way coming out of that prayer session as I went into that prayer session. So what, I'm, so what, that, what that proves is prayer changes your perspective on whatever situation you're facing. So you might be facing a giant, but you go to put your heart before the Lord and you come back out and that dude shrank a little bit. I'm preaching real good for a basic sermon. So number one, worship. Number two, you got to pray. There's no, there's just no way around it. I don't always, let me say this, I don't always enjoy praying. We got to stop doing everything our emotions want us to do. Anybody ever here try to diet? <laughs> we ain't all like Missy who can preach about, you know, anyways, my bad. But you ever try to diet, right? You ever try going on a diet or, or, or you ever tried exercise program? Literally, those things consist of doing the worst thing on the planet you want to do at the moment. Yet we think with God, like, if I don't feel it, I don't have to do it. There is no sense of, I don't know, Paul said, I buffet my body. Like, I, I, I put myself into submission to the things I know I need to do. We've treated discipline in the body of Christ as a real dirty word, and it's not. The discipline of worship and the discipline of prayer is good for you. So pray. Get with God and pray. And you, how many of y'all know, you start off, you're kind of like, I need to pray. I know I'm supposed to. I need to go pray. And you're like in there and like, God, you're cool. You're holy. You know, this is great. And the more you just keep going, like something starts to shift. And you walk out of that, that, that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. You walk out of that moment with God and you're like, why would I ever consider not going that, that place? I mean, I know what I'm talking about. Raise your hand, you know what I'm talking about. Like, why was I reluctant to go there? Now, I'm going to say this right now, and this, this applies to a lot of the things. If you don't have time to pray, A, it's a lie. My phone lets me know every Saturday, Sunday morning how much time I've spent on this sucker. When I looked at it this morning, I, went, I did a double take. I was like, I spent how much time? You're up 75% from one week ago today, right? What? Right? You've got time to pray. And let's just say you put your life into such a hectic mess of busyness that you don't have time to pray. I'm talking about shut away with God for a few minutes a day. Then you've got a serious priority issue of what is important to you. It's, it's, it's borderline idolatrous. To be able to put everything first except a few minutes with God. I'm trying not to be a toe-stomping sermon, but I'm not doing very good. Okay, I'm not doing very good. Okay, let's move on. Number one was what? Number two was what? Number three is what? You got to read that Bible. You got to read the Word. You ain't got time to read the Word. You ain't got time to be on Facebook. You ain't got time to be at whatever, okay? <laughs> you got time to read the Word. Psalm 1, I think, is one of the most important scriptures, uh, passage scriptures in the entire collection of scriptures, the Bible. It, 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 blessed is the man who does not 
sit, stand, or walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. That's the blessed man. So if you're walking around and you feel like, man, there's this heavy oppression or curse on my life, I've got to ask you, are you in the word? Where prayer changes my heart, the word gives me the right mental perspective. Like it, it, it gives me the right thoughts to think. Does that make sense? Well, I was thinking this way, but the word said this. I need to think this way. That makes sense? It tells you how to think. Uh, Paul, Paul literally says in his writings, think on these things. Well, you look back on, you take a catalog and look back on what you have been thinking about and what he said think about, and you go, okay, those are two different lists. That's why you got to be in the word. You got to be in the word. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus, according to John, is presented as the word. He is the word, right? In the beginning was the Okay, and John also has a revelation of Jesus being the bread of life. In other words, you have to eat the word to feed your spiritual man. Look at me. Do I skip meals in the physical? Nah. If anything, I'm the guy who's going to add an extra meal. I don't know what you said. But I'm sure it was sanctified. <laughs> I'll add an extra meal. I'm always snacking. I'm always snacking. Like, just here's a, a bite here, a bite there, handful of this, handful of that. I'm always snacking. How many of y'all are snackers? Raise your hand. How many of y'all? Okay, good. Okay, how, raise your hand if you take the same approach to snacking and eating the word for your spiritual body as you do your physical body. Are you always snacking? You always getting another bite, man. That 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 what that that thing Missy made that cake pie whatever. I, I just gotta I walk by it and I'll leave a fork in the pie pan, just to have a bite every once in a while. Yet we have Christians walking around spiritually very malnourished and anemic and devoid of the nutrients because the eating and consuming of the bread of life and the Word of God seems to be one of the things we'll do if we have. And none of us approach natural food that way, but we approach spiritual food that way. All my youth group kids are like, I've heard this sermon before. You got to eat. This is a very literal example from Jesus. If you eat my flesh and drink my... And the, the, the disciples were smart enough to know he was talking about his words. For where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. The truth is a lot of us are eating stuff. We're finding satisfaction and getting our tummies full on a lot of stuff but the word. Good preaching, Chester. So number one, function check. We're looking at our piece of equipment. Yeah, this works. Yeah, this works. Number one is worship. Number two is? Number three is? I literally, whenever I was uh, first started youth pastoring, we had these two or three kids that got, I mean, radically saved. This is like 20, this was nine, this is 2020, 21. We got the, no, not 21, 2001. Yeah, 2001. We got the two or three boys that got radically saved, like radically born again. 
And they were so hungry for the word of God that every time they sit down to eat, and, and I would teach them this, and they would go, we won't eat natural food before we eat spiritual food. And so they would read like a chapter of the Bible, and then they would eat their meal. How many of y'all were, in the beginning, when you first got born again, you were that kind of crazy about God? What happened? Right? What happened? All right, number three, number four. Number one, you got to worship. Every believer, I don't care if you're in America. I don't care if you're in Nebraska. I don't care where you are from. <laughs> right? You got you to be a person of, who worships God. This is like basic, right? You gotta worship God. You gotta pray. Like, duh, right? Deep wisdom from Chester. You gotta read the Bible. How many of y'all are already having to like readjust some of the function on your weapons so far? So it's real basic. But see, maturity is, remember what I said? Maturity is the consistent application of elementary principles. You may have been saved. 50 years, but you never pray, you never crack your Bible. Just because you've held a ticket for a long time doesn't make you a mature believer. I'm meddling now. Number four. Every believer, according to the scripture, was designed to be a part of the body of Christ. And attend and go to a community of believers on a very regular, even in New Testament, dare I say, daily. I got getting real quiet. Thank you, Cohen, for that amen. A regular basis. When God created, he created a man and a woman and gave them the instruction to build a family. Christians were never, ever, 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 believers, children of God, were never, ever created to live in isolation from one another. The very foundational aspect of creation is that it is, you are born into a family. That family grew into a nation. That nation grew into a kingdom. In the New Testament, the church is the body, the the, the body of Christ. Christ is the head. Every member and every function, when it's joined together well and does its part, the whole body benefits and it grows, right? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together even more so, encouraging one another even more so as the day of the Lord approaches. There is a damnable lie that is trying to infiltrate a post-COVID world in America that is trying to downplay church attendance as something that is very optional and it is not. It is a basic function check of the believer. Going to church is absolutely the will of the Lord. Now we can talk about how we define church, but sitting at home looking on Facebook, watching your favorite preacher preach, and the statistics, we did this during COVID, the statistics of how long somebody would sit on their phone and watch a church service was a minute and 29 seconds. And I have people all the time, well, you know, we, we, have, church in, we have church in our house, we, get on, we watch on live stream and on whoever, and I'm like, that's not church. You may be looking in. Uh, if <laughs> it's really kind of creepy, honestly, it really is kind of creepy. Imagine Chester, you know, 
at seven o'clock in the evening and you got your, you're having a family dinner and you look over in the window and some dude's peeping through the window. Some dude peeping through the window. And you come outside and say, Chester, what are you doing? I'm a part of your family. I'm part of your family. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing family with you. No, actually, you're creeping in, dude. Like, if you're part of their family, then there's a seat for you at the table. Like, your feet come under our table if you're actually part of this family. Peeping in and calling it family is psychotic. Right? Like, like that's how we call, that's probably call the cops. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be rude. I'm trying to be mean. Really, what God intended was never for you to, to uh, by distance, participate in a service. What God intended, everybody look at me right here. What God intended for you to do was to be plugged into a body and a group, a family of people, that they were your brothers and sisters in Christ, and y'all did spiritual life together as you approached the day of the Lord. Amen. That's being part of church. You can get online, you can listen to good sermons all day long, but that's not going to church. Being a part of the body, being a part of the believers, being a part of the, the, the community of faith, every local church, joining yourself, that's what being really foundational in your walk with God is all about. If somebody uh, got saved in this service today and they came to the front, and uh, somebody raised your hand. No, Missy, not you. All right, Joe Ray, raise his hand first. Thank you, Joe Ray, for being brave. You're still kind of new, so you don't really know how it works. But uh, I always pick on the guy who raises their hand. So let's say that Andrew gets saved. He's been lost. He's been, he'd been, he'd not been, he didn't grow up in church, right? He never was in church. He didn't grow up around Christianity. Like he came from India and he was a Buddhist or whatever, and he got born again. And he comes up here to the front, and I say, Joe Ray, Joe Ray, you come up here and you tell Andrew what he needs to do now that he's given his life to Christ. Everybody pretend like you're Joe Ray. What are you going to tell him to do? First of all, you need to... Then you need to, and then you need to read the, you got a Bible, you got a Bible, Andrew, you don't have a Bible, I'll give you a Bible, read it every day, try starting maybe in the book of John or something, right? You give him, you give him some instruction. And then what's the next thing you're going to tell him to do? How many are you going to tell him, look, it doesn't really matter if you go to church, you go home and watch it on TV. How many of you really care about Andrew? That's the advice you're going to give him. Don't get plugged into a church. Just peep in on somebody else's services every once in a while and call it good. No, because you're concerned about his, his discipleship, his ability to walk the long road. Amen? I'm meddling now. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. Number five. Y'all do realize the... Uh, the consistent application of elementary principles, going to church, will tremendously help you navigate the crises in life that come your way. There had been stuff that I've been through, our family's been through, I would not know how we would have walked through it if it hadn't been for our church family. That makes sense? Uh, Missy was talking about this the other day. It's like, for the last 
20 years, we've not lived close to any of my family. My, my brother and my father, they're a five-hour drive one way away from me, and it's been that way for 20-something years. I'm not saying they're not my family. I'm saying, but when I need something here, oh, I have family. I got family. I got people I lean on. I got people who know the intimate details of my life and who will drop everything in a drop of a hat to come be with me and walk with me through whatever, right? I got family. Church is a family. That's why you got to be plugged in to the church. And then finally, number five on this function check is, and by the way, one more thing. I'm sorry, just one more thing. One more thing. It is comical to me that one of the main reasons church people say they don't want to go to church is because of other church people. I'm like, buddy, look in a mirror. There's people that don't want to go to church because you go there. Yet you want to blame everybody else? A, A, you don't go to church for everybody else. You go to church because the word tells you to go to church. B, it was always designed to be a hospital, not a well-groomed country club where we all look the same and do the same thing. Always designed to be a Jesus said, the sick you will have among you always. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who were what? And he said, get all these dysfunctional people. I don't know. He called them disciples later on and apostles later on. Get all these dysfunctional people and trust the kingdom to them and then watch them go do something that's, uh, to, to turn the world upside down. So uh, you'll still go to Walmart and even I see your Facebook post and y'all gripe about the self-checkout wine on Walmart, but you still go. You gripe and complain about everything, every store, every restaurant you go to, but you still go, but yet somebody hurts your feelings at church, and you're like, I'm out. I got family members. Thank you, babe. Thank you, Virginia. I got family members that I see at Christmas that are as polar opposite of the political spectrum as you can be from me. You think I'm avoiding them? No, I'm not avoiding them. One of them had a birthday this week. Get them there. Happy birthday. I love you. Your own family, you'll tolerate people who make you upset. But you don't want to, but you think it's like, you think like you have this utopian idea that's a farce of church. Literally, Paul's been talking about church problems all the way back to Corinth. But you think there's this, that, that church should be perfect and never have any problems and everybody, nobody ever upsets you or makes you sideways. You, you're living in a pop dream. And Part of the pop dream problem is your side of the dysfunction. We got to tolerate you sometimes. I've tried so hard not to be mean today. The, the, uh, let me say it this way. The story in Job about Job's friends was never trying to intend to uh, get us to avoid Job's friends. Job's friends are unavoidable. It's to get us to lean on God when every other voice says don't. Danny, I'm almost done, brother. Number five. Number one is function check. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. 
church. <laughs> you remember go to church. Okay, never go all the time. Yeah. Number five. This has got three kind of titles. It's give, serve, outflow. This is what I mean by this. We have turned church in, away from a flowing river and we've dammed it up and turned into this pond or lake that was never intended to be. One of the most biblical analogies of spirit is out of your belly shall flow rivers. The Jordan River, the baptism, the dove comes out. Like these river experiences... Uh, the children of Israel crossed a river. These, the river in the Bible is like the symbolic waterway of the people of God. We've dammed up rivers, turned them into lakes and ponds. How do we do that? Because church become a very commercialized commodity where it's all about the consumer consumption. And we eat and we feed ourselves, but yet we're never giving and serving and outflowing. We've dammed up the river. This comes in every area of your life, whether it's your literal time. If, if you look at your calendar and everything on your calendar is centered around what you want to do, there's an outflow issue. The plumbing stopped up somewhere. You hear what I'm saying? Like your life can't be all about you. It is not the way of the believer. It is not the way of Christ. Amen? All right? Number two, time, talent, your, your gifts, your talents, how you serve. Everybody say serve. It's not a dirty word. Everybody say serve. How you serve people, the, the, the body of Christ, how you serve. It's important that you have uh, what's coming into your heart because you've been worshiping, praying, in the word and around the body of believers, what's coming in has got to have a way out. If not, we just sit here and we just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And we get, and what happens to a pond? It just gets, the more steel it gets, it gets stagnant. And then stuff starts going on top of it, right? And the next thing you know, like life isn't there anymore. Uh, and plus, the, the, uh, uh, a lake, let's say Lake Wachita, right? Pretty big, big lake. The, the, the amount of shore space where things have to come to it, church, where things have to come to it, the amount of shore space that's around that lake of where it can actually help some things, the only things that are able to come to it, the amount of shore space is way less than, let's say, I don't know, the Arkansas River. Where's the Arkansas River start? Like Colorado or somewhere? Like it's way up there in Northwest. The amount of shore space on, on rivers that go for across the United States that's, that's feeding the uh, biological and the economical uh, station of America is mind-boggling because riverways are teeming with life. But you have a pond and managing, you know, you got to feed the ducks because there's not enough food in the ducks pond to keep, you got to supplement the food. And that's kind of how, that's the indictment on modern churches become this 
this isolated little bubble of lake or a pond when we expect everybody to come to us and our reach is very small because we're a stagnant bunch instead of being something that all those other things that we're that are pouring into us we're not taking it and loan outflow and the moment we start damming up the river we start having problems that makes sense so when i say give and you're like oh here we go again preacher talking about money well yeah i am and all the other stuff if, I don't know, there's this crazy verse. I don't think how it goes. That, but, oh, freely you have received, freely give. And before you tell me you earned all that money, God gave you the breath to have the ability to earn every red cent. And if you can't get that right, go back to number one, please. But here's the idea, the outflow. Like, if, if, if God is blessing you, Literally, the nation of Israel was created. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the nations of the world. Amen. That's the principle throughout Scripture. It's like if God is blessing you, if He's, how many of y'all would raise your hand and be bold enough to say, God is blessing me? Can I help you with your theology? God is not blessing you for your sake only you've always been intended to be a conduit between heaven and earth and what's coming into your life has got to be coming out of your life and so as we go back to that illustration of the spirit out of your belly shall come rivers of living water the river doesn't originate with you from heaven into you but it's supposed to come out of you amen so, basic function check, all you church at the armory little soldiers. You worshiping? Who in the world is calling me? Missy, they're calling you. Anyway, it rings in my hearing aids. <laughs> so, I'm like in here going, Jesus, hello. <laughs> hello, it's me. Anyway, so... That was bad. Back on track. Back on track. Where was I? Oh, yes. All you soldiers, listen to me. Everybody in your mind, grab your spiritual weapon. Don't, I mean, don't imagine an AR-15. Imagine whatever you want to, okay? But grab your spiritual, the things you've been equipped with. Do a quick function check. Are you a worshiper? Like, would you describe the last few months of your life as I'm a person who's worshiping God? What's your prayer life like? Are you spending real, legitimate, not token, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Not God is good, God is great, thank you for this food, amen. Are you spending legitimate moments and time in prayer? Are you in his word? Are you delighting yourself on his word day and night? Are you, are you actually reading the scriptures? How much am I supposed to read? You read until something jumps off the page, and then you work it backwards. This is what this is what I tell people to do. You read the Bible. I don't care if it's one verse or a hundred verses. You start reading the scriptures until something grabs up and grabs you. How many know what I'm talking about? And when it reaches up and grabs you, you work it backwards. Then you get it in your spirit. You start praying about that scripture. 
And then once you start praying about that scripture, that you start worshiping God. You're the, for instance, if I'm reading Psalm, uh, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. God, I pray right now that I would trust you. I would trust you more than these things, that these tools on the earth, that I would trust you above all these things of the world. And God, I praise you because you're the God who's more powerful than the horses and the chariots. And I can trust you. You take your scripture and you make it more than just a head knowledge. You put it in your spirit and you pray that sucker out and you worship God out of it. That makes sense? So the next thing is, let me ask you this question. And I'm I'm literally going to turn around and preach this message backwards so nobody will be offended because I'm talking to you this morning and you're picking on me. If you have gotten to this place where church has become a very, very once a month, twice a month thing, if your life is so busy you can't plug yourself into the body because you got too much going on, I'm asking you today a basic fundamental thing, which is the gathering of the saints to make it a top priority in your life and in your family's life. I don't think they heard me, Lord. Let me do it one more time. It is really basic. It is not, it is not, like, it is really basic. You would never instruct a new believer not to do what I'm telling you right now. Get yourself plugged into church. And finally, look at your life. Basic function check. Look at your life. Is there an outflow? Is there an avenue for me? Am I, am, I, am I giving time, talent? Not just one. Well, I, I got this one. Is, the, is I am a giver of my life. Right? I am a giver. There's an outflow. I'm releasing what God's putting inside of me.